You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. The human side of Peter goes, oh no, the waves, and he sinks. The minute he takes his eyes off of Christ, the minute he looks someplace else at the circumstances, he's done. That's our model. That's our example. You wonder why we fail in circumstances, why we fail in trials? It's because we got our eyes on the wrong thing. We're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at the person who caused the problem. We're looking at this. We're looking at that. No, look to Christ. Look to the Lord. Isn't it human nature to look at the waves around you and before you know it, you're sinking and pummeled by the surf? Today, Pastor Dave is asking you to keep your eyes, your gaze, your focus solely on God. He's there with you in the storms and trials of life. He's there to rescue you, but maintain eye contact. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 14 as he begins his message, Fight or Flight. Now, it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Gentiles, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. Fight or flight. Are you a fighter? Or are you a flighter? Yeah, I know there's no word like flighter, but my computer went nuts when I typed it in there. In other words, when you are opposed or when you're in trouble, what's your first instinct? You stand? Are you a fight kind of person? Or do you look for a flea in flight? You know, back in the 1920s, an American physiologist by the name of Walter Bradford Cannon based, uh, coined the term flight excuse me, fight or flight. And he expanded on the theory that was already existing. The theory is based on what happens within the body during a stressful event. Cannon supported his theory by describing the response of animals in the wild when they were in life-threatening situations. It's an interesting theory, and it speaks about the reactions that happen in our bodies when we are face-to-face with these stressful circumstances. And these reactions cause a person to either stand and fight or flee in flight. You've all heard the stories, the, the wonderful powers that someone has where they go and they lift up a car off of someone who has been trapped underneath. Or maybe you've seen the stories of the strong, real, manly guy running like heck when the trouble comes and there's a problem. 
Well, these are examples of that theory. These are examples of the theory. Another example was shown to me just this week, and I'd like to take the time to read that. As I was sitting one afternoon with my wife, we were having lunch, and um, we were watching Fox News. I was quite moved, to say the least, because on the television was our dear president, and he was awarding the Congressional Medal of Honor, and it was being being awarded posthumously to a Vietnam veteran. Let me read to you the citation, please. Specialist for Leslie H. Sabo Jr. distinguished himself by conspicuous acts of gallantry and intrepidity, above and beyond the call of duty at the cost of his own life, while serving as a rifleman in Company B, 3rd Battalion, 506 Infantry, 101st Airborne in Saison, Cambodia, in May 10, 1970. On that day, Specialist 4 Sabo and his platoon were conducting a renaissance patrol when they were ambushed from all sides by a large enemy force. Without hesitation, Specialist 4 Sabo charged an enemy position, killing several enemy soldiers. Immediately thereafter, he assaulted an enemy flanking force, successfully drawing their fire away from friendly soldiers and ultimately forcing the enemy to retreat. In order to resupply ammunition, he sprinted across an open field to a wounded comrade. As he began to reload, an enemy grenade landed nearby. Specialist Force Sabro picked it up and threw it back, and he shielded his comrade with his own body, thus absorbing the blunt of the blast and saving his comrade's life. Seriously wounded by the blast, Specialist Force Sabo nonetheless retained the initiative and then single-handedly charged an enemy bunker that had inflicted severe damage on the platoon, receiving several serious wounds from automatic weapons fire in the process. Now, mortally wounded, he crawled towards the enemy emplacement, and when in position, he threw a grenade into the bunker. The resulting explosion silenced the enemy fire, but also ended Specialist for Sabo's life. His indomitable courage and complete disregard for his own safety saved the lives of many of his platoon members. Specialist for Sabo's extraordinary heroism and selflessness above and beyond the call of duty at the cost of his life are in keeping with the highest traditions of military service and reflect great credit upon himself, Company B, 3rd Battalion, 506th Infantry, 101st Airborne Division, and the United States But this is an incredible account of bravery. This is bravery at the highest of human spirit and endeavor. R. Kent Hughes speaks of a different kind of bravery, but bravery nonetheless. He says, and I quote, Yet there is a bravery that exceeds even the highest of human acts. It is not as dramatic, not as conspicuous, and not likely to be remembered It is bravery that is called forth by constant devotion to a course or ideal. He continues, It is is from the early Christian church that we get examples of this bravery as we look at the courageous attitudes of the apostles in their loyalty to Christ through thick and thin, unquote. As we open our study today, and as we take a look back at where the disciples had come, Where this missionary group had come, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark started out. They were sent out from the church of Antioch by the Holy Spirit, and they went on their, they begun their first missionary journey, which we've been studying. 
You remember, they went to Cyprus and they witnessed Jesus and things were very, very nice. They were comfortable and they were very uneventful. All they did was witness Jesus and people got saved. Maybe this gave them a false sense of security. We're not sure. Remember when they went to Paphos, they ran into some trouble because there was a wizard there. But it ended in success with the salvation of Sergio Paulus and his family. However, the trouble took its toll and John Mark left. Maybe John Mark had one of those fleeing responses to the stress that was in there. He obviously chose to flee in this instance. Then the group came to Antioch in Pisidia, where we studied last week, where they had gained success again. And quite a large number believed, resulting in much more trouble, to the point where they were expelled from the city. They were expelled from the region. And remember what they did when they left? They shook the dust off their feet in judgment against the city as they walked away. But did this deter them? Did this deter the missionaries? Or were they discouraged? In fact, it appears that the trouble even encouraged them because look what it said in Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So many car horns going off. Might be a good time for me to silence my phone. Pays for it. Okay. Yeah, right. Everybody run out and check your car. These missionaries were not deterred, nor will I be. They were not discouraged, nor will I be. In fact, they loved the fact that they were in trouble. They were filled with joy. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued on their journey. Here we see just where the true strength for these missionaries came from. Being filled with the Holy Spirit accounted for their boldness. It accounted for their courage. This is the kind of courage that is not something that is common to man. This is a supernatural courage and bravery given to those who are yielded and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Before we go any further, I need to say something. We do not know anything about Specialist for Sabo's spirituality. And his bravery is of the highest, highest human terms. And I am in awe of his bravery. And when I heard this, and I heard the president giving this speech, I was moved to tears when I watched this on TV and I saw his wife come up and accept this in honor of this man. And yes, he is extremely brave knowing that he was going to pay such a price. And when I realized the price he paid that others could survive, I was moved. What he did was very rare and very, very honorable. But these missionaries who we're talking about today, and they were continuing their journey, had strength and power that the world doesn't know. They had strength and power more than anything that is in this world. They had a supernatural power from God in the Holy Spirit. They were filled with that power, the power of God, a supernatural strength that is available to all believers. That power is available to us today. Without this power, we can do nothing for Christ that will last. We can absolutely do nothing that will last. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot be witnesses to those who are unsaved. We cannot speak with authority the name of Jesus into a grave situation. And we are helpless to help the world come to know Jesus Christ. Oh, it's my prayer that we would have that Holy Spirit and we would have that power in our lives today. These disciples had just been thrown out of a city. They've just been tossed on their ear. It said persecution rise up against them. Can you imagine what happened there? I imagine probably their lives were threatened and they left very quietly. They chose the flight method of that time. At that time, they chose to flee. But as one commentator said, and I love this, looking at the situation, he says, we were born again, not born yesterday. When I read this, all of a sudden, I had Kenny Rogers songs going into my head. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. And you got to know when to run. That's a very simplistic version of flight and fight. You look at it. That's what it is. 
So as we start chapter 14, we see Paul and Barnabas now, they're headed onward in their journey. They're pressing onward. Everything that had happened was not deterring them from accomplishing that which what the Lord has called them to do. If the Lord has called you to do something, nothing will stop him from accomplishing that which he gives you the power to do, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of the pressure of the world. If the Lord has called you to do something, you can guarantee he will give you the strength give you the power by his spirit and move you in the direction that he wants you to go and he will accomplish what he called you to do. They knew this. They knew in their hearts that the Lord had called them. They knew in their hearts that they had boldness and strength by the Holy Spirit. They knew this. They were walking. They were in constant communication with the Lord. Their focus was entirely on him and solely on him. They weren't worried about these other guys, these other people. Their focus was on what the Lord wanted to do in their lives, not what they thought or what other people thought. When we get into various trials, when affliction befalls us and we fall into temptation, if our eyes were solely focused on the Lord and not on circumstances that surround us, we would know the heart of us and we would know what we're supposed to do. We would know whether we were to hold them or fold them or walk away or run. We would know if we were to stand and fight. We would know because we would be contacted to the source that gives us strength. When you have that kind of strength, you can withstand any circumstances that comes before you. That's the kind of strength that these apostles had. Listen to what Paul says, and he talks about this very thing, according to what I think, when he says to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 18. Let me read this to you. Paul is saying, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. And the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life is working in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Look at the focus of Paul. Look at the focus of what he had. He wasn't looking at the physical. He wasn't looking at what was happening in his life or to him. He was looking ahead. He was looking ahead to the glory of God. He was looking ahead to Jesus Christ. His eyes were firmly fixed and centered upon Christ. This is where our eyes should be. Firmly fixed and planted on Jesus Christ. This is the mindset that we should have. The model, what's the model here? I can tell you what the model is, and you know before I say it. It's Peter getting out of the boat. That's the model. Lord, if it be you, bid me come. Yes, Peter, it's me, come. Gets out of the boat in the midst of the storm, and he's walking on water. And as long as he's got his eyes fixed on Christ, as long as he's looking straight at Christ, nothing befalls him. But the human side of Peter goes, 
Oh no, the waves, blub, 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 and he sinks. The minute he takes his eyes off of Christ, the minute he looks someplace else at the circumstances, he's done. That's our model. That's our example. You wonder why we fail in circumstances, why we fail in trials? It's because we got our eyes on the wrong thing. We're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at the person who caused the problem. We're looking at this. We're looking at that. No, look to Christ. Look to the Lord. We need to ever look to him and constantly look at him. And as long as our eyes are focused on him, we're going to be strong because Christ is strong. We're going to be fearless because Christ is fearless. Take your eyes off of him and you sink below the waves. The language that was used by Paul it means to fix your eyes on Christ. Fix them. You know what that means? That means to stare intently, always looking forward. Why did Paul succeed? He said in Philippians, I press on towards the goal. You can't press on if you don't have a goal. What is the goal? Jesus Christ, eternal glory with him. That's our goal. And that's what we fix our eyes on. Oh, you might last a while in your own ability. You might even overcome for a time. You might even overcome trials. You might even overcome some afflictions or even temptations in your own strength for a little while. But sooner or later, you will tire. Sooner or later, you will become discouraged and you will be frustrated. It's inevitable when this happens. But we know the scriptures. We tell them day by day by day. We say them all the time. You've even said them to to me. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if that's true, why are we not living it? If that's true, why are we struggling in the midst of a hard time? And I'm not just talking to you. Remember, if I point at you, there are three fingers pointing back at me. So I'm talking to myself too. Why do we get fearful in hard times? We know the scriptures, but do we believe them? Are they in our hearts? Are they true? Or are they just written pages that we look at? We must rely on the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit within our lives if we want to overcome afflictions, trials, and temptation. That's what these guys were doing. They weren't worried about anything else except what the Lord had called them to do. Their eyes were fixed on the Lord. They were constantly in touch with the Lord. So they go away, and Paul and Barnabas move on to Iconium. Now, Iconium is about 80 miles from Pisidia. And when they reach the city, what do they do? They go into the synagogue. Now this becomes their SOP, their standard operating procedure. That's what they do. Look at verse 1 and 14. Now it happened in Iconium that they were together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed. Wow. What did Paul so speak of? What did he so speak? If we look in Corinthians again, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, maybe we can get an idea of his thinking process because Paul always had to do the same thing. He told the Corinthians, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of the wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When the rest of the circumstances, and we start putting our trust into man, We're in a world of hurt. We need to put our trust in the one who is able to save us and the one who can keep us from falling, Jesus Christ the righteous. The so speak here is the gospel message. Paul never deterred from the gospel message. 
It says he spoke extremely effective. It was a very effective speech by Paul because he spoke the gospel message. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with boldness. And he stood before these men in the synagogue and he preached the words of truth. Now, Paul doesn't record what he said. But Paul was very aware of his responsibilities and why he was there and why he was sent. And so should we. We should be ever aware of why we're being sent and why we're here. We're not here, believe it or not, to spread the gospel. We're here to glorify God. And in glorifying God, the gospel will be spread. Jesus has called us to spread the gospel. He's given us a great commission, yes. He's given us a great commission, and we have a responsibility to share the gospel message. But God needs to be glorified. I can guarantee if you start glorifying God in your life, in your body, in your soul, and wherever you go, people will be drawn to you, and then you'll have a chance to give the message. You'll have a chance to give the gospel. Look at the results. A great multitude of Jews believe. A great multitude. The first thing I see here is Paul's courage to deliver the message of salvation. Remember, he and Barnabas have been expelled from a city for the exact same thing. But also remember that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is where his courage, his courage came from. He knows and has confidence in the Lord. He knows that the Lord wants to speak. He knows that the Lord wants all to be saved. He knows that he's going to use him mightily. The second thing I see here is the word of God going forth with power behind it and accomplishing that which he's supposed to do. What is the word of God supposed to accomplish? Salvation. Salvation is the main goal of the word of God. God's plan is very simple. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do God's will, we deliver the message, then God quickens the heart of those listening, and salvation comes upon those who he's called. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing, and we should never tire of it. We should never tire of giving God the glory, giving God the praise. But as we said the last time we studied in chapter 13, sometimes the response to the gospel is not so good. Look at the next verse. But unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. In the original King James, it says that they made their minds evil affected against them. And in the NASB, it says that they embittered them against the brethren. How did they do that? How did they embitter them against the brethren? How did they, how did they poison their minds? The Greek idea here is to entreat evil or to bring harm. These unbelieving Jews who were gathered there, they might have become jealous as they did back in 1345 when it said filled with envy when we studied that last couple weeks. But they stirred up the Gentiles to the point of doing harm. They poisoned their minds. What did this look like? What does it mean, poison their mind? The mind is an incredible thing. Every day, thousands upon thousands of thoughts are pouring into our mind. Thousands upon thousands of images are being transferred into our brain. Thousands upon thousands of opinions come into our ears and are tossed in as well. As we listen to these opinions, as we listen to these images or see these images, and we start to think on these thoughts, we develop actions and responses according to what we're hearing and seeing. You ever hear the term garbage in, garbage out? You sit around and you take garbage in all day long and garbage is filling your brain, the only thing that can come out is garbage. Whether it be attitude or spoken word or whatever. If you're constantly taking garbage in. You are Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? 
he met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope.